Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This episode is brought to you by Green Skies Analytics, an audit analytics service provider that works with internal audit departments that have data analysts and are still frustrated with trying to make analytics actually work, aren't getting the expected ROI, who can't break through the communication barrier between the analysts and the audit team, and those that need experienced direction for an audit analytics strategy and process. Those that feel like they've wasted time and money on trainings, aren't getting the value they want, not prioritizing the highest risk areas for the organizations, or have projects that seemingly never get completed. Do you deal with any of that? If you do, go to the show notes of this episode and click the Green Skies Analytics link, or go to greenskiesanalytics.com to schedule a call and understand how Green Skies Analytics makes analytics actually work for internal audit. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Audit Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Russell. Today, we are recapping the best of the Beacon Award winners, also known as a dozen who made a difference. So these are the folks that were recognized by the former IIA president and CEO, Richard Chambers, current senior internal audit advisor to audit board. The way the process works is Richard notifies through his email list and through LinkedIn that that nominations are open. That usually happens around November. And then from there, um, you fill out a form and say, this is why this person's great and wonderful. And then Richard decides from there. Uh, along with some feedback from others, I'm sure. But from there, Richard puts his list together of the 12 folks. That's where the dozen who made a difference comes from. And so throughout 2023, we had each one of the 12 on the show, uh, save for one person who we have coming up very shortly. So you might compare the lists of, of who, who we're featuring today versus who's not on there, and you could figure that out. So anyway, we wanted to highlight the, the best pieces of advice, guidance, thought leadership from them as we interviewed them throughout the year. First up, we have Hal Guerin. If you don't know Hal uh, and then you're on LinkedIn, you should immediately connect with him. He is a prolific LinkedIn poster, also contributor to multiple, I would say thought leadership websites such as Internal Audit 360, amongst others. If you're not subscribed to internalaudit360.com, highly recommend that one also. And Hal is just one of only two individuals to have made the list all four years. For those that don't know, the new list for 2023 came out uh, a couple weeks ago, I believe. And no surprise, Hal was on there again. So with that said, here is Hal Guerin. At the, at the end of the day, what the audit committee wants from the CAE is assurance. But it's not assurance in the typical use of the word. They just want to be assured they have the right person and the right people in internal audit. They're raising the right issues at the right time. They've got the right relationships. And if they're not telling me about something, then I don't need to worry about it. Yeah, they well. need to be assured. And that is not as a result of assurance projects, it's the assurance that comes from knowing that you feel confident and confident that you have, you're confident you have the right person and the right people in the role to execute your responsibilities as an audit committee. So it's about creating confidence through competence. Next on the list is Robert Berry. 
whose tagline is that he helps internal auditors ask better questions. And from reading from what Richard wrote, uh, Richard stated that it's also fair to note that Robert regularly provides better answers, which I 100% agree with. Again, for those that have seen the new list, Rob was again recognized this year, much deserved. Here's Robert Berry. And everybody's talking about chat GPT and you can see some posts on LinkedIn where people have talked about it and auditors disappointed me. I guess that's what Trent means about that straight talk from me, but <laughs> I, it's true. That's it. Everything I saw from auditors was like, well, chat GPT, is it going to replace us because it could write better reports than us? Right. And I actually said in a few people's posts, if that is what you are thinking about chat GPT, then please get out of our profession. Go do something else. Because that's a selfish way to look at it. Here we have a new piece of technology that has been introduced to the world, which now poses a different kind of risk on our organization. So for me, when chat GPT came out, here were, here were, here were the three things that I thought. Number one, how can it be leveraged to benefit any organization or our organization, wherever you're working? The second thing was, how can it be used against my organization? And then the third thing was, what can we do to mitigate those risks? And so to, to go further with this, we've learned that ChatGPT has actually generated malicious code. Okay. Now, we also know that it's what's called generative AI. So... It, it takes code and it takes information and it dissects it and then it does some sort of predictive analysis to tell you what comes next. So in my mind, I'm thinking it must be storing some things. So what I started thinking was if you work for an organization that has code as intellectual property, you definitely don't want your programmers putting it in chat GPT because now your intellectual property is at risk. Right. But see, these are some of the things that I thought about as an auditor. So the fact that it could write reports, which it does a poor job of that, by the way, that never crossed my mind. So for us, if we don't keep current on events and if we don't start thinking about the risk real time for everything that we see, we are going to be useless to organizations. Next on the list, we have Alaba Awaloja. This is his third year making the list. I made people to understand that learning internal auditing is one thing, and learning how to pass the CIA exam is another thing entirely. Yeah. yeah. Many CIA candidates have problems with the CIA Part 1 exam, and that is essential of internal auditing. But the question should be why these people are all internal auditors. Why are we having challenges in passing the CIA Part 1, which is essential of internal auditing? For example, let me give you this uh, example. Uh, in 2021, the global pass rate for CIA Part 1 is 43%. Now, there's been no average. <laughs> and according to the Institute of Internet Auditors, the IIA, in 2022, only 45% of candidates who took the CIA Part 1 exam passed the exam. We should ask ourselves, ask ourselves a fundamental question. Are the candidates failing the CIA Part 1 exam not internal auditors? Are they not internal auditors? But I will have to leave our listeners to answer this fundamental question. Although many factors contributed to the failure 
of uh, individual candidates. But I am so sure that a lack of fundamental knowledge of the profession is one of them. Yes, many of these candidates we claim to have years of experience in internal routine. But since 2020, I have been working with CIA candidates on how to use the basis of internal auditing to pass the CIA exam. Better. Since 2020. For example, I trained people, I mean internal auditors, on how to use the definition of internal auditing, the definition of internal auditing only. I mean understanding that definition of internal auditing to answer more than 10 questions out of the own 120 questions in a CIA part one exam. Yeah. That when I teach you this, when you understand this definition of internal auditing, with this basic, you should be able to answer or use the understanding to answer more than 10 questions yeah. out of the 120 questions that you have in a CIA exam. And over time, all our candidates passed on their first class. Next up, we have Sarah I. James, who, from what Richard wrote, if he were to give out an award for book of the year for the internal audit profession, it would be Sarah's book, Radical Reporting, Writing Better Audit, Risk, Compliance, and Information Security Reports. On previous episodes where we had Sarah, you can go look at the YouTube channel, Google that, Sarah I. James, The Audit Podcast, YouTube. And she pulls up a dashboard and shows various ways to do one-page audit reports through just email communication or a dashboard or whatever that might be. So highly recommend going to check that out. I will say, for those that listened to the full episode from what we had Sarah on in 2023, she did talk about the second edition of her book that will be coming out later in 2024. So keep an eye out for that. Speaking of root cause analysis, because I know you've reviewed what, if I said thousands of audit reports, that would be... Yeah, late, latest count, it's over 3,000 reports I've read. <laughs> so pretty decent sample size. Yeah. Um, and, and in those, if there was a top two, maybe three, maybe even one, common root cause for any given, we'll just say control failure, what is it? Okay. Um, the most common root cause that they actually put in the reports... Hmm is unclear roles and responsibilities. Okay. And I think it's up there with maybe systems. Got it. Systems so inadequate, inadequate or unreliable. Well, actually, they're usually thinking of, of they're, they're blaming the machines. Oh, okay. You know, where they have, you know, systems that are supposed to speak to each other, but nobody's actually looked at how to do that. It's the classic thing of, you know, tech is the problem and tech is the savior, and yet the humans don't want yeah. to take responsibility right. yeah. for it. Um, the unspoken root cause of a lot of things, though, is culture. Okay. And I know a lot of people say culture is not a root cause. I can see how it's circular. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I think if you, as I call it, you peel the onion of root cause analysis far enough, you know, people start crying. Um, and even <laughs> with tech stuff, I say it's culture because if you say, no, the real problem here is we've got this business critical system that hasn't been properly maintained. Um, 
my question is, well, who's not maintaining it? And is it clear who's supposed to maintain it? Oh, no, that's unclear roles and responsibilities. Sure. Well, that's governance. Yeah. So who's responsible for that? Um, but if you're telling me that you've been telling management for years that you need funding to either improve or replace this system that is business critical, and if you are convinced that you've been articulating the risks correctly, then what you're telling me is you've got senior managers, senior decision makers who either don't understand risk, no mm -hmm. matter how many times you discuss it with them, or they understand and they don't care. Right. And if those people are at the top of an organization, that goes to risk culture. Next, we have Dr. Rainier Lenz, who had the most read article in all likelihood of the year, The Gardener of Governance. If you're connected with Dr. Rainier Lenz on LinkedIn, you've probably seen where that's been posted. If not, that's one, again, even though it's research paper, you can search for it and you should be able to be able to download it uh, for free. So go check that out. It is a very, very good read. What's an actionable takeaway that the listeners can apply to their audit role to actually be more effective? Well, thanks, Trent, uh, for the invite and thanks for the opportunity to discuss with you. I would boil that down um, to the slogan, there is nothing as practical as a good theory. And uh, I see much value in the theory from Professor Jody Hofer-Gittel. She's from uh, Brandeis University's Heller School in Boston. And she came up with the relational coordination theory. And uh, I have applied that theory, I think, implicitly throughout my career in internal auditing. What does it say? Um, it puts emphasis on uh, three elements, and they are shared goals, shared knowledge, and mutual respect. And if you put this into action in your given context with the board, with management, I think you've come a long way. And um, the fourth notion is communication. And um, once you have frequent and timely communication, problem-solving-minded, I think you're on a good path to an effective internal auditor. Now, I mean, for those interested in this topic, um, I spoke about that in my PhD thesis, and the, the work is continuing, so I keep learning on that. Um, I think it's worthwhile um, pursuing that path, so I'm working with Professor Jody on uh, further insights. I think that theory is a good base, you know, to um, give direction. Next, we have Jenitha John. She was a former IIA chairman of the board of the IAA. She was also featured on the Audit Room podcast uh, that I co-hosted with Tracy Mark Wart, so you could check that out also. And she also contributed to the body of knowledge for risk management as a task force member in GRMI's Model Risk Code Initiative. Many organizations are grappling with where do they start? How do they how do they actually understand what these different um, acronyms are in this in the space of ESG or sustainability reporting? So we can come in as auditors, and especially if we're familiar with this and we've, we've researched materials, we're passionate about the subject. We have an advisory role and we play an assurance role. Okay. From an advisory perspective, if your organization is starting um, ESG and sustainability reporting, you can. The first thing an organization needs to know is to build a, a materiality framework. So what are the things that are going to be most useful or most value adding to your organization from the perspective of non-financial reporting? 
So as auditors, you can offer advice on how you'd actually collate the materi materiality attributes in your organization. So that's the advisory part is how well you understand your industry and how you can help your organization shape the ESG indicators that they want to disclose. From an assurance perspective, you can test the integration and alignment of, of uh, ESG to the SDG goals itself. You can actually look at risk management practices in your organization of how you actually aggregate uh, the sustainability information. So what's very important is to understand that the information that you're gonna put out there needs to be transparent, it needs to be traceable, and it needs to be auditable. So now when, when you look at those, those three aspects, for me, it sits clearly on the shoulders of internal audit. Can you trace the information back to its source? Okay, Is it transparent enough? Does it actually hold when it comes to the information that your shareholders or stakeholders expect from you? And so, yes, there's a lot of ways that internal audit can get involved, both from an advisory and an assurance perspective. Um, testing compliance with regulations and standards out there uh, testing the veracity of, of uh, the stakeholder engagements and needs, um, you know, providing advice on certain aspects. So it's really a, a, a great place to get involved. Like I said to you, internal audit is best positioned because you know your organization. Coming up, we have Jamie Shine, who in addition to emceeing conferences, facilitating sessions, and training new facilitators for those conferences. If you're interested in that, um, becoming one of those folks, then reach out to Jamie. I'm sure she would be happy to hear from you. She also co-authored an article for the Internal Audit Magazine, Getting Personal, uh, which focuses on relationship building by internal auditors as a strategy. Super fascinating. Go check that out. You know that like when you would go for an interview, at least 15 years ago, I don't know how it is now, but they would, typically it's, oh, what's your strength? And yeah. the way people were coached back then was like, hey, pick something or, or what's your weakness? Hey, pick something that's actually a strength and say that you do it so well. It's your, I'm a perfectionist. And because of that, I uh, spend too much time on projects or, you know, whatever it is. And you're like, okay, yeah. But I think that got figured out, you know, like everybody started to recognize that and go, all right, come up, do something better. Um but how has your recognition of your strengths through strength finders made you go, oh, this is how it is a weakness? And have you adapted to that to any degree? Definitely. I think that a lot of times our biggest strengths are also our biggest weaknesses. Well, so context, it's a great strength when I use it correctly, but it can also lead to me spinning sometimes or overanalyzing things right. or thinking, oh, well, this must be connected to this when maybe they're not really connected. And so I really have to keep it in check. Another one of my top strengths is competition. So I think it's pretty easy to understand how that could be a weakness. I love to win, which isn't a bad thing. I also do not like losing. And so I've had to be really careful to make sure that I'm always being a team player and that I'm not wanting to win at the expense of anyone else that I'm wanting our team to win. I'm wanting the company to win. I'm not wanting to get credit for something. And that can be hard, right? As auditors, we're going to get so much more buy-in for recommendations if we're not taking the credit for them. If we're helping our clients come up with ideas instead of trying to be this like superhero. And so yeah. I think it's important to, when we're thinking about our strengths, to also see the other side of every strength and realize it can be a weakness. 
Next up, we have Liz Sandwith, and reading from what Richard wrote about her, Liz was a seasoned voice of reason in 2022 for a profession dealing with unfamiliar risks like inflation and geopolitical conflict in Europe. For the first time in decades, her contributions to the internal audit profession in the UK and across Europe were important to the success of III UK and the ECIIA. Liz isn't quite as active on LinkedIn, but she has a ton of stuff on YouTube. So if you want to hear more from Liz, highly recommend searching for Liz Sandwith on YouTube and you probably got your day of videos that you can watch and listen to. A lot of people uh, want to focus their time on effectively getting that very coveted seat at the table. I know that's something you've you've spoken about um, publicly also, I'm always curious, what is the practical advice? Like what can we actually do to get there? Is there anything you could share with the listeners relative to that? Yes, absolutely. I, I think it, I think it's a real challenge. And I, I think sometimes, you know, you could argue when we renamed the head of internal audit as the chief audit exec, we were looking at aiming them at the C-suite level. I don't think a title in itself does it. I think it's about the respect that the organization has for you as that CAE, as that individual. And respect doesn't come with the title. It is something that is earned by you across the organization. So that's supporting your your colleagues, both senior, middle, junior management, helping make sure your team is delivering the best possible product be agile and adaptable and responsive when the organization that does that, whoa, help, we don't know what to do about this. Um, we are there, we should be there. And, you know, goes by the same token, really, we shouldn't be afraid to ask the difficult questions. And, and I always think, you know, they always say, don't they, with barristers, you never ask a question you don't know the answer to. Ish. But I think for us as internal auditors, that's absolutely fine. If we don't know the answer, let's ask the question because that'll start a conversation and collectively we'll work to find the answer. Next on the list is Dave Hill. And to quote from what Richard wrote, and I 100% agree, thought leaders like Dave Hill are among the reasons I believe the future of our profession is bright. Follow Dave, he is probably, he and his team, some of the most innovative, internal audit folks out there in the world they kind of nailed the one page audit report i feel like well before most people did effectively if there is a new concept out there dave and his team go yep we're gonna go try to do that i believe they uh, an initiative they had for late 2023 anyway was the one day audit and so maybe we have dave back and see how that goes um, but anyway, Dave is a great follow again on LinkedIn, if nothing else, to see what is the next innovative thing that could be done within the internal audit space. What do you feel is like one of the, the number one issues that's being discussed amongst chief audit executives? I, I, I'm sensing, um, <clears throat> again, coming from the back of a few conferences, I'm sensing it is it, this communicating well, communicating in a timely manner. Um, so it's adopting new methodologies, new technologies, all of which can help communicate quicker. So, you know, one of the things that um, I was I picked on the standards the other day about, you know, added value, you know, it talks about added value 30 times, I think, in our standards. Hmm. And then it talks about what it is in the glossary, one one paragraph in the glossary. 
But what it doesn't say is that mm, it's got to be delivered in a timely manner. And I think that's missing from the standards. So the word timely doesn't exist in there. And for me, it's so it's okay delivering added value through, you know, assurance and governance and, and control and all the other areas. But if it's not timely, the horse is bolted. So therefore that word timely is really important. So if you've got the tools and systems and processes that can allow you to provide that information in a timely manner, then everyone wins. So that that's where I am. And I think that's becoming more and more of a conversation now. Next on the list, we have Norman Marks. He is the other, in addition to Hal, that has made the list all four years. Again, if you look at the list for 2023, the newest list, Norman was there again. This wasn't written about Norman this year, but I know it's been in their past, where Richard says that if there was to be a thought leader, it would likely be Norman Marks. Uh, huge fan myself. If you're not subscribed to his blog series, go to his website subscribe to that if you do nothing else if you don't read any other blog articles if you don't subscribe to anything else that was one of the first ones that i found years and years ago and it is brilliant every single time uh whether it's cybersecurity, a data topic uh, risk management no matter what it is norman seems to always be on the right side uh, even if it's, even if his thought leadership is early on and people aren't quite on board, it seems like eventually everybody goes, oh yeah, Norman's kind of right about that. We should have been doing it that way. So big fan, can't say enough about Norman. Here's Norman Marks. If I had one type of training that I'd recommend for everybody is in active listening, active listening. Um, I heard a definition just on the radio this morning that somebody is listening if they're actually thinking about the same topic as the person speaking. But most people, and there's, there's another piece of, of research that I've, I've heard, most people are actually not really listening. They're waiting for the other person to stop talking so they can talk. Yeah. Um, but active listening and getting the most out of everybody is such a wonderful technique. It, it's a way to really understand what's happening and why it's, it's happening, why people are doing something, not just what they're doing. And it's also a way of building relationships. I, I, I tell this story, and, and I don't know whether you, Toronto or, or others have heard this one before from me, but um, when I was at Tosco Corporation, one of my managers went off to, to speak to... Um, a senior executive, and a couple of hours later, that, that executive gave me a call praising my auditor and saying he's the most wonderful auditor. I love having him. We, he, he, he understands the business. He understands what we're trying to do, and I think he will be a great partner for us helping us make sure that we're doing the right thing and giving us ideas of what we need to do going forward. So congratulations on hiring him. I thought, great. This is the kind of feedback I want to get from executives, right? 20 minutes later, uh, I talked to that manager, bringing him into, into my office and congratulate him for obviously having this excellent conversation and building this new relationship with the senior executive. And he looked at me totally puzzled. What? 
He said, that? No. I sat in there and he talked and I hardly said a word the whole time. I was just listening to what he said that occasionally I'd ask a question. But I hardly ever, I don't think I went in there, if I went in there to, to, with any specific, specific questions, I'm not sure I actually got to ask them. <laughs> but I just listened to what he had to say and I learned so much from him. And I want, I, I was, he was very happy that he built that relationship and now he could go in and ask those questions. Yeah. Next up, we have Rajeshwar Sundarishan. He's one of the founders of IIA Qatar and is a widely respected advocate for internal audit in one of the profession's fastest growing regions in the world. In 2022, he was a frequent and recognized voice for the internal audit profession in the Middle East. And his article on the top business risk for 2022 served as an early call to action for the region's rapidly growing profession. Kind of most important soft skill as a CAE, and then also follow that up with how can we actually develop that skill? Yeah, I think in, uh, there was a study instead of internal auditings. I was also in the committee of that when I was in the committee for education and um, research. You know, they did uh, the common body of knowledge. Mm. Uh, the study on common body of knowledge, I think for about three or four years, so communication was among the top states for internal work. One of the top three states yeah. for five years contributing. So it, it has always been uh, number one, one of the top uh, skills, uh, soft skills uh, for auditors. Of course, they need hard skills to develop sort of soft skills. So, um, so other than that, um, well, what I would say for well, one of the critical things for auditors is creativity. You know, and then creatively looking at things that is the perspective where questioning everything, whether it is what it's, you know, we call it C's, what is the before C's, what is the condition, what is the criteria, what is the correct reaction, what are the consequences. So, the way of looking at every observation in the four C's or five C's, you put it, we give a creative uh, process of uh, diagnosing the issues and finding out the right solution. So this one creative thinking is very important skill. Hey everyone, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere, so please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review, and it really helps to get future guests to come on the show, so we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from the Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.